0: My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to spend most of my time working with community groups and also with equipping, which is sort of classes and Christian education, stuff like that. But occasionally, I come up here and preach, and that's my privilege today to preach God's word to you. And uh, yeah. Well, in the last 10 years, uh, there's been an explosion in the use of statistics and technology uh, to track and hopefully enhance human development. The most visible form of that has been in the world of sports if you followed Major League Baseball especially, uh, you'll, you will have seen that they're using these high-speed cameras and they track every single pitch, and they can see exactly where it went, where it left the hand, how many times it spinned, 2,000 revolutions, and it landed there, and oh, but the guy and the homework went exactly this far, at this angle, this distance, and so this team's going to be or something, right? But the idea is, you know, it, it's even come to us in the personal realm. Uh, perhaps if you have a smartwatch, uh, as I did, um, you'll realize that often it will beep and it will say, hey, you haven't taken enough steps today, okay? Uh, it's the same idea. Uh, the idea is that by looking at our past performance, uh, we can create a better future by developing today. Oh, it's not a bad idea. And today, actually, we're going to be considering the same dynamic on the spiritual level. Uh, how do we make sense of our past and future spiritually and then therefore determine how to live today. And so I want to direct your attention today to Philippians 3, uh, verse 12, through the first verse of chapter 4. So Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. So if you want to flip there in your Bible, open your app, we will, I will read that to you now. This is God's word for us. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And Parfum, I hope to show you today from this passage this. Since your past... And your future belong to Christ, eagerly pursue him today. Since your past and your future belong to Christ, pursue him eagerly today. Uh, In Philippians 3.12 through 4.1, we're going to see three actions that comprise pursuing Christ eagerly today, uh, which is our goal. To perfect our mindset. Perfect your mindset is the first one. Fix your gaze and set your stance. Perfect your mindset. Fix your gaze And set your stance. Uh, Let me pray that the Spirit will will do this for us. Holy Father, we come to you realizing that um, your word is powerful. And we need to hear from you. Uh, We are not perfect as we ought to be. And yet you have called us to something wonderful. Show us what that is. And and help us to set our history and our, our future correctly so that we can follow you truly today. Do this by your spirit. Do it for the glory of your son, we pray. Amen. Now, as I said, uh, three actions that comprise pursuing eagerly, Jesus eagerly today. The first of these is perfect your mindset, perfect your mindset. We see this in verses 12 through 16, mainly, and I'm just really following the imperatives, the, the commands of the text. So it says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Think this way. Okay, that's a nice pronoun, this but as we know about pronouns, what's it referring to? Okay, well, uh, verse 12, I think, makes it pretty clear and gives us really a thesis for this entire passage, actually. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, hear that repetition, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's, he's already done it. Of course, so we've got this idea of, of pressing on, that we're not there yet, and, and yet we belong to Jesus, and yet we still have another pronoun problem. I've not made it my own, I've, I'm going toward this, what's he talking, okay, well we have to, basically I'm saying, let's take a zoom out and look at the whole thing. Well, we see in the previous passage, Paul has laid out this audacious and really provocative idea that he is so fully justified in Jesus that when God looks at him, he doesn't see any sin, he just sees his perfect son. And therefore, Paul has laid aside every, every claim that he had to perfection, every claim that he had to righteousness on his own, apart from Jesus, because it kept him from that righteousness. And so he says, now I've, I've got that. He says, right? And, um, he says, I count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and, and attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so this is what he's saying. We followed all the pronouns, and now we see what he's saying. <laughs> Not that I have already obtained this perfection, not that I have already obtained what, I'm, what I already am in Jesus. I am not already in, in my body, in my flesh. I'm, I'm not looking perfectly like Jesus. And if that's true, so if it's true, you might say, oh, really, Paul, you're fully justified. In Jesus, you're perfected before the sight of God. That's, that's what we believe in the gospel, right? Well, then, I mean, why not kind of take a nap spiritually and just kind of hang out. Well, you're perfect already. He says, no, 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 no. No. I pursue holiness wholeheartedly. At the core of a Christian's mindset is this. In verse 12, I think there may not be a more beautiful sentence I've read in the past month than this. Not that I've already obtained this, but I, I press on to make it my own. Christ, I press on toward godliness. Why? Because... Christ Jesus has made me his, his own. At, at the core of a He he owns me. At the core of a Christian's mindset toward all of life is this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I should be. I am not yet what I should be. But by the grace of God, I am becoming what I already am in Jesus. I am becoming the righteousness that I already have. Is that beautiful? Is that wonderful? That is good news. God has taken possession of me by attaching me to his son, and therefore, I, yeah, I stand before God perfect, and yet I'm on this continual race toward the perfection that I already have in Jesus. Does this sound, is that, it's a tough tension to maintain, and that's why Paul wanted to say it. Uh, think about this. A few days ago, it was Thursday, which in my house is Daddy Day. That means I get to take care of little Jack, my eight-month-old son. And he's very cute. He doesn't call it Daddy Day because he calls it ma-ma-ma-ma-ma because that's what he calls everything. Uh, but we call it Daddy Day. And on Daddy Day, often, I, I take some pictures. And this last week, I took a picture. He was being really cute, like he always does. Sent it off to his aunt. And she responded in a pretty typical way. She said, my baby. This is my baby. And probably in your family, you, you do something like this. Oh, there's my, my Johnny. Oh, that's my little baby, right? What, what are we talking about? Well, it's the same thing that Paul is talking about here. Here's what God has said about him in Jesus. That's my Paul. And it's the same thing he says about us today. That's, that's my Aiden. That's my Ethan. That's my Kathy. That's my Sue. That's my Tom. That's, that's mine. You're mine. You belong to me. And now become like me, right? That is Our transformation is empowered by God's acquisition of us in Jesus. And at a practical level, it is to say, belonging precedes becoming. And this is good news. Since since your past belongs to Christ, we eagerly pursue him today. This This is the mindset that we have and this is the foundation of the entire Christian life. It's, it's the only basis for true transformation, for, for becoming and finding meaning and, and life and significance and what Paul calls righteousness. And we have to say it's, it's incredibly distinctive because every other way to do that, it, it sounds like this. First, become good enough. Then you'll belong. First become, then belong. But Jesus says no. You can't bear the family resemblance if I don't first bring you into the family. And Paul says this is the foundation for transformation. The problem is, for us, is the same that we see in in our own lives today. Uh, There's a reason that our self-help section of the bookstore is the fastest growing one in America. It's because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not sure if there's really, is there that much wrong with us? I, I, I think if we had just a few tips, you know, and tricks, if we've got a few things fixed at work and at home uh, and we start believing in ourselves and really embracing the hustle and, and all these things, then we'll finally arrive. We'll be okay. Well, it's another way of saying righteous. But part for you, Jesus has better news than that. And Jesus says to us today, you do need to change. You need it a lot. I, I need it a lot. But in order for that to happen... First, you have to get into the family of God. Jesus must make you belong. You can't bear the family resemblance unless you belong to the family. And if we really understand what it means, the, the, all that we have in Jesus, we will not walk. We will sprint toward godliness. This, this is what Paul is saying. With every bit of energy, this is what I do. Forgetting what lies behind, I strain toward what lies ahead. I press on for the goal of the prize, Right? And Paul brings us to a conclusion, this perfect mindset, with a little bit of wordplay, with a little bit of whimsy, with a little bit of irony. He says, you know what? Here, uh, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, if you have a different translation, uh, maybe you'll see this word mature. uh, is usually translated perfect. Let those of us who are perfect think this way. uh, Because it's the same word earlier. He says, I am not already perfect. Same word. So what he's saying is, you know what the perfect mindset is? The perfect mindset is, I'm not perfect. This, this is what it means to be perfect. In this tension between our, a, a consciousness of our deep flaws and God's deeper love, we are pulled at breakneck speed toward looking like Jesus. And and this is the pattern of the Christian life. And so it's not as if we receive this perfect righteousness from Jesus that gives us real, it's real perfection. It's real righteousness before God. It's not as if we get that from Jesus, become his, and then kind of settle in for spiritual hibernation. No, it, it activates our deepest motivations. And then Paul goes on to give us what, he doesn't just leave us there. He says, there's one thing I do. So there is something to do. Okay, there is something to do. He gets practical with us. Paul can be practical. He says in verse 13, I haven't made it my own, but one thing I do. Now this is a certain kind of do. It's not a one thing I did, one thing I have done, one thing I might do. It's, this is a present and progressive and continuous pattern for Paul. He says one thing I am always doing. This is the pattern of the, he says, Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. And this is the constant pattern for a believer in Jesus. And now I'm going to test the camera, people. It looks something like this. There's Jesus. Oh, my sin is kind of, well, nope. Turning away, turning toward. It's, well, it's, there's Jesus. Well, no, no, no. Okay, back. Here, back to, well, no, no, no. And on and on the life of a believer goes, turning away from sin, turning away from our attempts at self-righteousness and being enough and getting life and getting, and being okay on our own and turning toward the beauty and righteousness that we already have and always will have in Jesus. Belonging to Jesus begets becoming like Jesus. As we look to Jesus actively putting sin to death and embracing the life that we have in him, we slowly... But surely, become like him. Each repetition of this two-part pattern is like the fall of a blacksmith's hammer repairing and restoring us back into the image that we were created to be, the image of God, that is Jesus. We're meant to look like him. And Paul here is exhorting the Christians in the same way. Are you, are you engaging in the race? Are you, are you engaging in this pattern? Are you pressing... Forward. Are you on toward Jesus with every fiber and muscle and sinew and ounce of energy that you have? Are you pressing this is the same question we have to ask ourselves. Or are you are you are we sitting on the sidelines? See, our biggest enemy to engaging this spiritual transformation that Paul's talking about is actually the one that he's directly addressing here. It's the same for us as it was for them. We think we've already arrived. I doubt many of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm perfect. Anyone? No. No one would say, but because we've been trained, we know we're not supposed to say that. But here's what it it actually sounds like is something like this. We're doing okay. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm doing all right. How are you? How can I pray for you? I'm I'm doing okay. Our biggest enemy is, that is a mindset that says, I'm, I'm doing okay with Jesus. I'm, I'm, going to ch- I'm doing the stuff. And in fact, a mature mindset, Paul says, is I'm, I'm not okay. I'm, I am always pressing forward toward greater likeness to coming. That's because, look, we are all becoming something all the time. We are not fine. And so here are a couple diagnostic questions to help you think about is Is this something that I see in my own life? Am I pressing in to answer the questions that Paul is sort of loving at the Philippians? I want to do this to help you. So think about this. Can you remember the last time that you confessed sin to another believer or to God? I, I turned from it. I'm turning back to Jesus. Do you remember the last time that was? Maybe another one might be what are two or three areas, maybe even just one area, where you, you realize God really is wanting to help you change in this area? God is always, I think, if his perfect spirit is in us, there's a thousand things that he's trying to do in our lives at, at once. And we might be aware of like two of them. But, but do you know what they are? The most dangerous war is one where you don't know where your enemy is, right? Do you know where the enemy is? Do you know where you're weak? The perfect mindset is one that says, I, "I need work. I need help. Please, God, change me." Right. And to enter the metaphor that Paul gives us, he says, "Of course, straining forward, I press on for the goal, of the prize of that." It's a race, right? It's a track. Race. It's a cross country race that he's he's in. And if we were to enter that image a little bit deeper, maybe we could even get to these really practical questions. Are we at this race? Are we spectators? And we could be honest here, right? We can be honest with ourselves because we've just learned that the, the perfect mindset says maybe I am. I will apply this to me. I'm not going to think, "Oh, Bill needs to hear this." Here am I. Are we spectators? A spectator, you're here. You love Christianity, right? Love to come on a Sunday, love Jesus, love to come and watch the pastor love to love to engage in worship, love the positivity and the songs and to cheer others on in their race. But as far as, as, as getting on, on the track ourselves, we're a little bit squeamish. I, I don't know if we haven't, haven't really engaged in that, in that fierce of a race. Maybe you feel a little bit like a GM. Love to be sort of up in the box, helping people sort of from afar, you know, leading and helping others. Um, but when it comes to sort of stepping on the field, love the sport, but it's, it's hard to engage our, ourselves. One step forward for, for, I think, both of those and I see parts of myself in both of those, by the way, would be engage this Sunday morning environment harder. Like, like you mean it. Strain forward on a Sunday. Uh, sing like you mean it. it. It's amazing to be up here. You know, I'm sitting here looking through my notes and praying and stuff, and I can hear you singing, and, and I can tell when you guys are, ah, loving it, the whole... I've, I love the worship this morning, because I could just hear you. "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is so worthy. Embrace this. Do you know? Do you see these microphones? They're not pointed at the stage,? Do you? They're pointed at you. You know why? Because we want to hear you. Sing like you mean it. Sing, worship Jesus passionately. Run toward Him. Worship like Jesus would, right? Worship like OK, here's another one. This might sound a little bit self-serving. Take really good notes during the sermon. <laughs> pay careful attention. But seriously, uh, whoever is preaching, get up here. When they get up here, uh, say, I want to listen to the word of God and I want to be transformed. I, I want to I have my Bible. I want to have my whatever it is you use to read the scripture and you want to say, Transform- I'm here to be transformed. I- I'm not here to just take it in. I'm here to change. Uh, we're here on a Sunday to be changed. And maybe a third one would just be pray. E- even now, Pray that the Lord would really change this mindset for you. Um, it's, it's hard to admit that we, we aren't okay, uh, but the Spirit can do that. And, and be warned, He may show you some things that are tough to hear, but He'll also point you to Jesus. He'll also point you to Jesus. Parkview, God has sent in Jesus not just uh, an inspiration and not just an example, although He certainly is both of those things, but in Jesus, we have been bought and brought into the family of God. We belong to Him. Our sinful past belongs to him. Our our sinful attempts to be good enough on our own belong to him. But since your past belongs to Jesus, eagerly pursue him today. And so the the first action to take is to perfect your mindset. I'm not okay, that is. The second action that we learn from this passage is this. In verses 17 through 19, if you want to look down at at your Bible, to fix your gaze. Fix your gaze. Now on the one hand, excuse me, on the one hand, this is a call to imitate those who follow Jesus. Uh, that is, fix your gaze on them. Fix your gaze, right? Uh, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, and on the other hand, this section has a clear call to avoid the allure of counterfeit faith. That is, fix your gaze mend your gaze, correct your gaze, look on the true Christ. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. But first, uh, this passage revisits a call to follow the good examples uh, that the Philippians have to look upon. Uh, we first saw this in Philippians 2:19 and following, which Wade preached masterfully a couple of weeks ago. And the main sort of push of his message, message to us, uh, was that we need to be looking around uh, and developing relationships with those who have followed the gospel pattern of Jesus, especially the pattern that we see modeled in the book of Philippians. Um, you think especially of the hymn the to Christ in Philippians 2, uh, who did not equal, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He gave up power so that others might go up even though he went down to death, but God raised him, right? So make those gospel relationships, form those relationships. And so, I'm not gonna belabor that point because, well, Wade preached on it, but let me just check in. How's that going? Have you taken a step toward obedience in that realm? Do you have those people in your life have I, I need to say, I think especially the, 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 our culture surrounding us, especially in the university of town, has said that if you are older than a certain age, you're kind of over it, and that is false. You have something wonderful to offer this church, and we are in big trouble if if it doesn't happen we my greatest fear is that we would become a church of gospel orphans without spiritual mentorship and, and leadership because we don't have parents in Christ. We, we need you. You have something we need. And, and, and so I, I envision this looking like this. I think everyone would have someone who, to enter the metaphor again, who, hey, look, there's someone a few steps ahead of me in this, in this race, I'm going to, hey, help, help, And you get with them and you say, oh, tell me, how do I parent as a Christian? How do I deal with my anger? I'm so angry. How do I, deal, how do I handle my money? How, it's so tempting. I want to just keep it all for myself. How do I do all these things? Uh, wouldn't it be a tragedy if every generation in this church, 20s, 30s, 20s, as you work through life, you have to figure out for yourself what it means to look like Jesus. We, we need a treasury of wisdom and gospel knowledge. So, so let's make that happen. And just, so I'll ask, have you, have you taken that step? Don't be too proud to ask whether you're looking ahead or looking behind. Have someone ahead, have someone behind. So fix your gaze. That is part one. Fix your gaze on those who follow the example, the pattern of Jesus. And secondly, fix your gaze. That is correct, correct your gaze. The second part of this passage is a clear and sobering warning. Having told the Philippians to follow the good examples that they have, he says in verse 18 through 19, many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul warns them, literally it says, while crying. These are not Paul's enemies, and yet they're enemies of Christ. These are people he loves, and they're people who have been duped. Though they claim to know Christ, they actually are walking in a way completely opposed to him. And we see a little bit about what has led them to this this damning walk. First of all, their end is destruction. Uh, it's, it's funny that Paul would start with the end, but I think he does that so he can draw uh, a point of contrast between, you know, he said the Christian's end is resurrection, but their end is, is destruction. Uh, secondly, um, their God is their belly, and I think in short, this means they don't actually worship God as, as they think they're doing. Thirdly, they glory in their shame. In short, they glory in the wrong things. It's, it's shameful. And, th- and finally, and now I think you'll see how this connects to our passage, their mindset is on, on the earthly things. It's on the worldly things rather than the perfect mindset that Paul has laid out in our previous section. And so if this whole passage is trying to answer the question, how can we be sure that we are eagerly pursuing Jesus today, then verses 18 and 19 are a reminder that this is not a question we can handle flippantly. If we do not progress in the Christian life if, if we are not setting our eyes on Jesus, killing sin and turning to the righteousness we have in Jesus constantly, turning aside from sin and self-righteousness and turning to his righteousness, then I, I, I'm not going to tell you you're not a Christian, but I think we can have no confidence that we actually belong. Now, be, Like I said, I hope I belabored the point in the first point enough. Becoming like Jesus is based on belonging to Jesus. And, and yet, we have to say without contradiction, If you are not becoming more like Jesus, it's time to immediately make certain that you belong to him in the first place. You may have fallen for a counterfeit gospel. You know, there is no harm in ensuring that you belong to Jesus, but there is great danger in believing a false gospel. You'll notice that this passage points out these four elements of a false gospel that's captured these these enemies of the cross, they call them. There's a God, a God, there's, you know, there's an ultimate reality, God. There's a glory, sort of a set of values. Uh, there's a mindset, you know, what's this and that, that we just talked about. And then there's an end, right? And at first, doesn't that sound like a very religious thing? It sounds very, oh, oh, God, yes. Lots of words we use in church. And yet, this outline describes not only religious false gospels, but also non-religious, secular false gospels. Uh, I once, um, I was in downtown Iowa City, and I talked to a man um, who, he said, yeah, I'm with you on the resurrection of Jesus. Definitely with you on the resurrection of Jesus. He's like, yeah, because obviously Jesus was a zombie. That's right. He believed in zombies, and therefore, yeah, Jesus was, lots of other people have been raised because of, you know, zombies and how they get bitten, and then the virus. Okay, so I don't think many of us (laughs) are falling for that, is anyone into Jesus as zombie? No, okay, I'm glad. Um, but in our age, so few of us are probably prone to be taken in by sort of a religious false gospel, although we, may, we must be aware of those as well. And so we, I think we do have to say that contrary to Mormonism, Jesus is not the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and mother. He is true God of God. Uh, contrary to the Jehovah's Witnesses, we, we also have to say Jesus is not the first and greatest creation of Jehovah uh, because he's an uncreated being. He is true, truly God. That's the spirit that lives within us. And yet, however, the most dangerous gospels, false gospels in our time, are not really that religious at all. And, and yet they are. Think about it. They whisper in your ear. They, yeah, Christianity is good and it it fits alongside a host of other worthwhile ventures in my life. The most dangerous false gospel of our time is insidious and it says that Jesus is wonderful and he's offering you quite a lot. It subtly allures holding out the glory of security and happiness and winning if you will only bow to the suburban idols of success and comfort, Parkview. This gospel is deeply religious. And all we must do to bow the knee is embrace the hustle, practice a few more hours, and find our way to the top of our company or to the top of our friend group, uh, or somehow look that good after three kids. Don't you feel that? It's exhausting. But eternal life is on offer, so make no mistake. The truth is, we are all racing somewhere. And that's what Paul is saying. We all are becoming something. We all belong to someone. And the most insidious danger is not that we take the evil things, the things we know are evil, and say, no, they're good. The the real danger of idolatry is that we take the good things and make them great and make them ultimate and put them, well, maybe not above Jesus, but right next to him. Let it not be. Every one of us is tempted, and, and some of us have been taken in. But the end of those false gospels, Paul says, is destruction, not resurrection and life as is promised to the Christian, death and darkness and misery forever. And Paul says, beware. And so I say to you, beware. Because in the end, there are only two ways. Uh, There's the way of Jesus, which we saw in this through this whole letter uh, of giving up status and power and and wealth and money and all those things, so that others might go up. I will I will go down into death because I know that Jesus raises the dead. God will raise the dead, and and so there's and then there's every other story. Part of you, church, fix your gaze. Look on the true Christ. Aren't those false gospels exhausting? Are you here and you just feel like you're running ragged? They're holding out a lure to you that every step you take, it gets a little farther away and costs you a little bit more until you're exhausted and dead. Jesus says, come to me. It's for free. It will cost you everything, but it's absolutely free. I give you life. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me. Come to me. and and if this is you I I just want to encourage God has given us a a lifetime return policy on our broken hearts he says I don't know I don't care what happened just come back I'll fix it come back any day you come back any hour any day you come back during church you come back and and let me fix your heart if this is you if you feel like I don't know about this come up after the service I would love to pray with you Mike who's going to lead us in communion would love to pray with you and talk with you about what this what this might mean now to be practical what how do you spot a counterfeit anyone who has um, been, I don't know, in Chicago or somewhere, and there's a, someone on the street, and they've got Rolexes for $10. Okay. They've got Christian Louboutin shoes, $10. Okay. They've got movies, $1. They've got... You know, what's it like to have a counterfeit? Okay, what do you do? First, you've got to take a look at the details. Because you say, wow, what a great deal. And then you look a little closer and you say, why is it in Chinese? <laughs> That's not usually, and you start saying, <laughs> what's going on? The stitching is not really, and the, the okay, so first of all, take a look at the details examine, what do you believe? Press, read some theology books, read your Bible, of course second of all, you put it into use right? Uh, if you just leave that Rolex up on the shelf, yeah, you might never really realize this, but you put it on, you take it to work, and then you get home and you take it off, and you set it down, and you say <clears throat> why did my wrist turn green? Oh, well that's not supposed to happen and wait a second, it says it's three, but it's actually six. Once. Try it out, okay? Put your gospel on. That is, embrace this race. Go, eagerly pursue Christ. And, and if the righteousness you see at the end of the path, the Jesus that you are gazing toward, does not enable obedience and empower obedience and becoming more like him, then, then take a look at it. Take a look at it. It's time to reevaluate. And finally, compare it with the real thing. There's nothing like sitting down and saying, oh, you've got a real roll it. You got it at the jewelry store. And let's take a look. And it's quite different. Does it get in community. Get in a community group. Get with one of those people that we, I just told you about making gospel friendships with. And see, are we living by the same story? Or, or do we have something really mixed up? Live God's story. That is our Parkview DNA trait. Push into the Bible. Marinate on it. Chew on it. Love it. Get into it. Chomp it down. Surround yourselves with people who do. Uh, fix your eyes on the story of this book. There is none better because there is none truer. Parkview Church, since your past belongs to Jesus, eagerly pursue him today by ensuring that you have fixed your gaze on the true Jesus. That is, fix your gaze by looking to those who are a few steps ahead of you and fix your gaze by making sure that what you see out there the Jesus that we're running toward is, is true. Be wary of the allure of false gospels. And finally, and shortly, set your stance. Set your stance. This is the third action. Perfect your mindset. Fix your gaze. Set your stance. In verse 20, we see the start of this. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus, stand firm. Thus, that is, set your feet. Uh, we have a firm foundation. We just saying that we have a firm found. Set your feet in this reality. Our citizenship is in heaven. Stand firm. Now, this is an incredible thing to say, especially when you recognize what the city of Philippi was. These were people who were well acquainted with the idea of citizenship. Uh, it was something that they interacted with probably quite commonly, and that's because uh, it was an incredible privilege to be a citizen, a citizen of Rome. And when you became part of the colony of Rome, uh, you, were, you would become a citizen, and you would get these rights and responsibilities, and citizenship was incredibly valuable. Uh, a lot of us don't feel that, but that's what it, it is, even now. It could be bought. That's how you could get your citizenship. It was an incredible price. It took a long time to, to save up that money, but you could buy your, your way into citizenship. You could be born into it. Or finally, you, you could earn your citizenship through service, special service to the empire, uh, especially by being a soldier, which many of those in Philippi would have been. And secondly, to be a Roman colony with Roman citizenship meant that you also had a political leader. His name was Caesar. Maybe you've heard of him. Who, among other names, was often called, even on the currency, was called Soter, Savior. And so before Savior was a religious word, as it is today, it was a political word. That is, Paul is saying to these citizens of Philippi who have the privilege of a savior who, if, if everything went wrong in Philippi, they could call on Caesar and he would come and save them and give them safety and life and, and all of that. And so do you hear what's going on? Can you imagine what effect this would have had on the Philippian church for Paul to say this? He says, our citizenship, oh, you have citizenship, that's good, but it's not in Rome primarily. It's, it's in heaven. Our rights and privileges are locked away forever. And when things go wrong, we don't look to Caesar Augustus, who, by the way, is dead and in the ground, but we look to Jesus Christ, who is alive and ascended to heaven. And he will one day not just transform our earthly circumstances, he will bring the true and final transformation that this whole thing has been about. Paul returns to this point. He says, we will be raised with Christ. He, he returns to the point he was making in verse 11 where he says that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And he says, I, I will be raised. Uh, he's so powerful. He doesn't just own my past by making me belong to the family of God. He doesn't just own my present by calling me forward at breakneck speed toward godliness and Christ-likeness. He calls me to a future. He he owns my future. My past, present, and future belong to Jesus. Because, Parkview, remember? Because my past and my future belong to Jesus, I eagerly pursue him today. One of the most fascinating parts of this passage is that it's clearly trying to evoke the the Christ hymn of Philippians 2 I mentioned previously. What is he saying? All together, by being united to Jesus, what it means is that what one scholar called, hey, look, Christ's history is the believer's destiny can you believe that he trades not only our sinful past for his perfect past so that we can stand before God perfect but he replaces our dismal future with his glorious future that one day we'll be with him and be like him we will not only bear the family name as we do now but we will bear the family resemblance once and for all in fact When we take a step back, what do we see in this passage? We have an entire timeline. We have a history and a future. We have a new citizenship. We have a new home. We have a new place of ultimate belonging. And we have a new ruler. We have a new savior who will come and one day fix everything. Parkview. Believing the gospel is not adding one thing to a pretty good life. It's entering into the greatest story ever told because it's the true one. Jesus has not invited you to try harder and then come to him. If you're in Christ, he has made you belong. If you are not yet, come. He he wants to make you belong. God has pulled back the curtain on ultimate reality, and you know what it is. It's the king of glory, the king of creation, who made all, who is beckoning you toward himself. The king of heaven knows your name. And what he offers you today is a new reality It will cost us everything, but it will cost nothing at the same time. He's calling you to himself. He longs to renew and redeem our past through his cross. He longs to perfect our future through his resurrection. And he calls us upward today to pursue him eagerly. And so Parkview Church, because Christ owns our past and owns our future, let's give him our present today. Let's eagerly pursue him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that though we as a church are not yet what we ought to be and not what what we should be and not yet what we will one day be, your promise is true and in Christ every promise has come true. And so with that knowledge in mind, with that with that belonging, with that family name, let us go forth toward you eagerly today. Lord, let us let us not be Sitting on our hands, let us not, let us look at Jesus. Let us fix our gaze on him and let every temptation to sin and and self-salvation become so dim as we gaze at your glory. As we worship now, let us remember that reality and propel us to obey you, to perfect our mindset, to realize we're not okay, that we need help, that we need one another, to look at you, to reject false gospels and to realize our citizenship is sealed in heaven forever. Do this for your glory, by your spirit, Lord. Amen.